I want to talk to you this morning about uh, the blessing. I uh, did a quick flyover Ephesians chapter 6 last week. I mean, uh, the book of Ephesians through chapter 6 last week. And um, I, it's one of those books that have just, I've lived in the summer and I just felt like I needed to come back to and uh, look at Ephesians 1 with you a little deeper and a little more intently this morning. I don't know about you, but there are a few people in my life that over the years, they have, um, they've been those people that felt like they could come in and speak to me about my diet, speak to me about my exercise, speak to me about my clothes, speak to me about my hair. Sometimes there are people I don't even know. Um, when I go to the gym, I, I, um, there are people that I don't know walk up and say, I've been watching you. I've got a couple of tips I'd like to give you that I think would help. Do you ever meet those people in the gym and you go, who are you and who gave you the right to come in and tell me, I, this happened in Macon. I went to a gym to work out and this guy came over and he was all sweaty and he was all muscular and, you know, I'm none of that. And come over and he says, listen, I think I've got a few tips that could help you out. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he says, um, you're working too hard at this. Well, if you're going to teach me how to do anything easier, I'm going to do it. And uh, he said, what I want you to do is to add about 50 pounds on each end here. And he says, and only lifts six times. And I didn't want to go into the time of explaining to him that because of five surgeries I had in 2006 and 2007, I no longer have any stomach muscles. I didn't want to go into the fact that I have a very thin uh, artificial skin graft there, and so I'm limited to lifting 25 to 30 pounds. And so I just simply looked at the guy and says, I don't think so. Thanks for offering. I'm going to keep doing it my way. He says, well, you're going to stay looking just like you are if you do that. Dude. <laughs> By the way, my son hates it when I say dude. It just felt good to say it, dude, again. I, um, I, there are people that will come in and they'll look at you and they'll, they'll go, you're not eating enough vegetables. You're not getting enough sunshine. You know, you know those people, do you have any of them in your life? And they just always have some advice to offer to you. So I... Um, I like those people who love me enough to speak into my life. I'm kind of uncomfortable with strangers that come in and start telling me what to do, especially when they start by saying, Grandpa, um, that doesn't help at all. But when I'm in the hospitals, one of the things that um, I have noticed from time to time, I've seen it especially on baby's charts and things of that nature, those three initials that always cause me a little bit of pain when I see them, and it's FTT, failure to thrive. And those of you that work in the healthcare profession, you know exactly what I'm talking about there when maybe a baby is not doing as well as it should. And I see marriages sometimes that I think FTT is happening. They're not thriving. I see companies. I see organizations. I see clubs. I see groups. I see churches. I see people sometimes that when I'm listening and I'm talking, I'm looking at it and I'm going, failure to thrive. Why? Because God created us to live. Jesus said, these are the words of Jesus. It's not in your outline, not on the screen today, but in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Can we say that together? I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. One more time. I have come that you might have life and have it more 
more abundantly. And anytime I think of the word abundance, I think of those Thanksgiving cornucopias where there's just all of this food flowing out of there as you get ready for the big feast of the year. You were created to thrive. You were created to have abundance. And thrive is what the world did until sin entered in. When you think about it from a biblical perspective and we look at the ancient geological evidence, thrive is what human beings did when God first created us. But when sin entered in, nature turned upon itself, human beings turned upon themselves, and before long, murder comes in, animals tear one another apart. It's, it's not actually what happened in the beginning because earth and humans were created to thrive. And what can happen to us when we give our lives to Jesus since Christ has come and defeated the devil, defeated sin, broken the power of sin, you and I can thrive once again. Our marriages can thrive. Our families can thrive. Our churches can thrive. Our, our nation could thrive. We sang it this morning, Lord. Send us an awakening in our nation. There's this ability to thrive because of what Christ has done for us. You see, Jesus is more for us than just an example to follow, and he is our example. Jesus is more for us than the king we worship, and he is the king we worship. Jesus is more for us than just the, the Savior that we're grateful that he shed our blood for us. Jesus is the only one, the Son of God, when God sent himself, and he became fully human through the virgin birth. He himself had the divine right. He had the, the right to come and to shed his blood as fully God, fully man upon the cross and break the power of sin that man had welcomed in through their sin in the Garden of Eden. And by that, the power of sin canceled, the power of sin broken in the life of everyone that follows him. Suddenly, something mysteriously happens, something mystical happens. We have the ability not just to know about Jesus, not just to follow Jesus, but as the Apostle Paul puts it, we are united with him. We are in Christ. To be a Christian means that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. And as an old preacher used to say when I was a boy, and I can see him saying it, and you never sat on the first three rows when he preached because he, he spit all over the first three rows, but he says, if the devil can't beat Jesus, he can't beat me because Jesus is living inside of me. And those words have always stuck with me. And they're not just that preacher's words, but they're the word of God. To be a Christian means I'm in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, let's look at it. Matter of fact, read it with me this morning. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We are united with Christ. He is in us. We are in Him. That's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful way to live. But we are blessed with every spiritual blessing because we are united in Christ. And that's important to understand this morning. I didn't have time. I really took pains to point it out last week, but I didn't have time doing a survey of the book of Ephesians. But Every spiritual blessing, pneumatikos, every spiritual gift, every spiritual grace, 
And the closest that you can come to understanding what every spiritual blessing is or every spiritual gift is, is understanding the concept of peace as the Bible describes it in a word that I think you all know, but you may not fully understand. I, I know I surely didn't understand it as a young person, and the more I've studied it as a student and the more I've studied it as a pastor, the more it's come to mean to me. But how many of you have ever heard this word before, shalom? Yeah, sure. Most of us in here, especially in Western society, we understand the Hebrew concept of shalom from the Old Testament. And the Greek word, it's erine, it's our peace, it's we are, we have shalom in God. You see, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, the peace of God, which will rule and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus, the peace of God, which stands like guards at your mind, these are all concepts from the New Testament, the peace of God that is ours, the shalom of God, the shalom of God means every spiritual benefit, every spiritual joy that you could imagine. It's more than just the absence of conflict, as I've told you before. It's more than just that your enemies are at peace with you. It's more than just that, you're, 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 the, that no, nothing bad is happening to you. The peace of God means that everything is as it should be. And I'd like you to ask yourself a question this morning. Is everything as it should be in my life? Is everything as it should be in my marriage? Is everything as it should be in my family? Is everything as it should be in my career path? Is everything as it should be in my education? Because the shalom of God means it's everything as it should be. In Exodus 18:23, it meant that there was this concept of covenant community, that everything was as it should be between you and I. You could trust your name in my mouth. I could trust my name in your mouth. I could trust my home. I could trust my possessions my family, my children, my ma- I could trust everything with you because you and I in this covenant community, we experience shalom. It's why we don't covet after one another's things or one another's relationships. It means victory in war. It doesn't mean just that we have this, uh, we're living side by side with our enemies, but it means that our enemies have been conquered and vanquished in the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we live side by side with sin and that somehow or another we grow comfortable with sin because it's sin that's brought the destruction. It's sin that's brought the brokenness. It's sin that's brought the crime, the murder, the the broken families, the broken marriages, the broken nations. It means that we worship together. We sang this morning. We said, here is your bride as we sing to you. It doesn't mean that we go out and somehow or another we say to God, I don't need your bride. I don't need your church. You and I can do just fine under a pine tree. Sir, who in the world do you think you are that you can dictate to God how you are going to worship him? Ma'am, who do you think you are that you can say to the Lord up above, you don't need Christ's family, you don't love Christ's bride, or you don't love Christ's church. Friends, when there is shalom, we love one another, and by this shall all people know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning again for that? You see, shalom meant that we could thrive. Shalom meant that we could heal. Shalom meant that things could be as they were made to be. Even before he made the world, Ephesians 1.4, if you want to look with me, even before he made the world, God loved us. God chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
To be holy and without fault means that everything is as it should be. Shalom is happening. You're growing in grace. You're, you're growing in peace. You're growing in love. You're growing in faith. You're growing in your confidence. Without fault, it doesn't mean you're faultless, but suddenly you're coming to this place where you're becoming more and more like Christ. You're sinning less and less. You're sinning less and less. And when the Father looks at you, he tells you how much he loves you and he sees you like like you're going to be one day standing in his presence through the blood of Jesus. When that man looked at me and says, if you will add 50 pounds and you'll do this, and when I refused his advice, he says, then you're going to stay like you are and pointed his finger. I have to tell you honestly, there was not anger in me, but there was not one bit of fear or intimidation in me at all. I knew who I was. I knew what I could do because I knew that God had healed me and raised me from a deathbed in 2007, and some of you were here when the doctor says you've got two weeks to live but God has restored me and I'm in a gym exercising and on a road running because there is a God that has broken and canceled the power of everything hell could ever throw at you. So let the world point its fingers but remember when God looks at you he sees you as holy and without fault in his eyes. Let's give him one more hand of praise. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be worshiped and adored this morning. So in verse 6 if you want to keep following so we praise God for the glorious grace. Notice that glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. If you belong to Jesus say amen this morning. In him we have redemption, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And family, finally, you can see it. In him we have redemption through his blood. The cross changes everything. The cross changes everything. Everything that I enjoy in this life, everything that I enjoy in the spirit, everything that I will enjoy in heaven, it's all because of the cross. It's all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let that never become old hat to you. Let that never become boring to you. Never become comfortable with that. But every single day of your life, be fascinated, be impressed, make much of the fact that Jesus shed his blood for you. When at Beaumont Hospital one day, the chaplain told me, he says, we don't really want you to talk to anyone about the blood of Jesus. That's kind of gory. I said, then there's no use in my being here because everyone that I will pray for, I will pray for because Jesus Christ shed their blood for them. And sir, by the way, you may not like it, but he shed his blood for you as well. Somebody give him another hand of praise this morning. Romans 6, 5 says, since we've been united with him in his death, you see, we're united with him in his life because we were united with him in his death. Say, Pastor, how does that happen? When I believe that what Jesus did at Calvary, he did it for me. 
It's what happens when you're baptized in this pool up here and you're counseled and you're instructed by Pastor Rick in your baptismal class that when you go down into the water, it symbolizes you're dying to your old life in Christ. You are dead to this world. You are dead to Christ. You are dead to the sins of this world because of what Christ has done for you. When you were brought up out of that water, you are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It is not something that is just conceptual. It is something that is real this morning, as real as this pulpit in this church. We live in Jesus Christ if we have put our faith in him and accepted what he did for us at Calvary. Let's praise him again this morning. Hallelujah. This particular gym that I was at made a big deal of putting up signs of saying, you know, there's no shame here. Work out here. I'm trying not to be too specific to identify it because it wasn't the gym's fault, but some of you already know which gym I'm talking about. And, and I thought, isn't that funny? Here's somebody already trying to intimidate me because I'm not doing it the way they think I ought to do it. I know how my father sees me. I know what I'm doing is maintaining good health. And, you know, I'm not trying to be a model. I'm just trying to be a good husband, good dad, good pastor, and stay in good health. I felt no condemnation, and that's why we can say, according to Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation at all for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you came to this church this morning feeling condemned and you are in Christ, stop it. You can do that. If you came to this church this morning feeling like, I don't measure up and you're in Christ, stop it. God sees you as holy and without fault. Now, that doesn't mean if you've got some bad habit or something going on that you shouldn't have, then stop that too. You can do that as well. You say, I can? Yes, you can. And now that you know you can, go and stop it and do what's right. You say, well, it can't be that simple. Jesus looked at that woman who had been called in adultery. He says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I'll guarantee you she'll never forget the love of Jesus, and she went and sinned no more. I think we are. I'm sorry, but I'm just in a praising mood this morning. Let's praise him again for that. Stop it. You see, to be in Christ means I have been adopted. To be in Christ means I have been adopted. You see, as adopted parents, there are some things that we can, Becky and I can read into these passages at times. And, of course, I've been able to go back and do the research. And I'm not just saying you know, what we, I, I never, never just bring to you my emotions or what I feel. But let me tell you something. Did you know in some states in our nation, this is true, in some states in our nation, if we had our own children biologically, I could legally unadopt those children. But I cannot legally unadopt my adopted children. Isn't that amazing? In some states in our nation, I could go and disown my biological children. My biological children, suddenly I wasn't pleased with them anymore. Suddenly they weren't doing what I thought they ought to do anymore. Suddenly I didn't think they respected me like they should or loved me enough. I could just go and say, I no longer take responsibility for them. But for my adopted children, even in their adult years, I cannot legally unadopt them. Now, they can legally reject me. They can say, I no longer want Dennis Clanton to be my dad. I no longer want to be called by. They can legally unadopt me, but I cannot legally unadopt them. 
You see, you need to understand the wonder and the grace of God's love for you. You need to understand that when we adopted our children, and it's what the Lord is saying here, God says that you are his heirs. God says that you are his, Jesus says we are his co-heirs. Well, you need to understand that when you put your faith in Christ and you are adopted by him, as we've just read in Ephesians chapter 1, that his wealth becomes yours. Everything that Becky and I had became our children's, and it will be theirs all one day because we adopted them, even though they didn't earn it. Now, there were times when they were munchkins in the house, and especially when they were teenagers in the house, they say, this is our room. You can't come in. I said, what do you mean this is your room? This is not your room. I can go anywhere in this house I want to. Did you buy that bed? Did you buy that closet? Did, you know, and we go through this little deal. There is nothing here that belongs to you. It all belongs to me. You get to use it. You get, to, you, you get to enjoy it. Matter of fact, you can come into my room. You can jump into mine and mom's bed anytime. If you can use our shower. Becky doesn't like anybody to use our shower. You can use our shower. You can come in any. You can come get any books out of my library. Don't you mess with my books. You can come. You can't drive my Mustang, but you can come and do anything. You, but hear this. It doesn't belong to you. And that's an important concept to understand. It's all theirs. And once in a while, some parent will come to me and say, well, it's, you know, I can't go into their room. It's their room. Stop being a mousy mom and dad. You're going to raise an irresponsible, insecure kid. That's your room. A few years ago, I told a parent that their kid was having problems with the computer, and I said, two things, take the door off of his bedroom and take the computer out. I said, we can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? Do you pay the mortgage payment? Dad goes, yes. I said, take the stinking door off. Protect the boy. Take the computer out of the room. Protect the boy. He says, well, isn't that like, isn't that like serious, going to create serious daddy issues in his life? I says, no, he's going to respect you. And today, he is a responsible, married man raising his own children. And he has told me himself in a mod pizza joint over here in Woodhaven one day, he said, if my kid ever does to me what I did to my parents, I'm not even going to yank his door off. I'm going to beat his butt, Pastor. <laughs> Now, there's a young man that is not insecure, living in his mama's daddy's basement, wondering what he's going to do with his life. It belongs to you. It belongs to them. But you're still the mama and the daddy. Somebody say amen. That is nowhere in my sermon, so that won't cost you anything this morning. God decided. I have no idea where that came from. If that wasn't from the Holy Ghost, you throw it out. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, it's all through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. When we adopted Amy, she was five years old. I, I've told you the story before. She was five years old. And I remember we were in Judge Culpepper's office in Macon, Georgia, and she was sitting in my lap, and Becky and I were sitting next to each other. And, and Judge Culpepper was telling us how he wished that every event that he did was as happy as this was. And I had met Judge Culpepper before because I had pastored in the city, and the church I had taken to pastor, it, it was a church with a lot of problems, and it had been through five splits, and it was in bankruptcy, and there was 
was a lot of issues. And so the judge and I had met on some other issues before, and, but we grew to knew each other over the years. And he said to me, Reverend Clanton, I wish every event was like this is a happy moment. He said, I am so glad to look at you, Amy, and to tell you that these are two wonderful people that are going to be your parents. And today, your name is officially Amy Rebecca Clanton and Dennis and Rebecca Clanton are your parents. And Amy, Amy's in my lap and she goes, yes, 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 just like that. And it's a happy moment. The judge is crying. We're crying. I told you last week and I want you to see it again. God didn't do this with a grudging spirit. Oh, I guess I got to go rescue those children down there. God's great pleasure is adopting you and I as his sons and his daughters. It's a happy moment when you say yes to Jesus. It's a happy moment when you say yes to Jesus. It's a heavenly moment when you say yes to Jesus. Even the angels in heaven rejoice. Well, praise him again in this place. Hallelujah. You see, adoption means access. I love the stories of how the Lincoln boys could come right in to President Lincoln's office during the height of the Civil War. I love the stories of how John Kennedy Jr. could come in when the cabinet would be meeting with his daddy, President Kennedy, and John Jr. would come and play around his daddy's feet. My children grew up knowing anytime you need me, I don't care if I'm in an appointment, I don't care what it is, you come, you can come in. I wanted them to know they have access. God is never, ever too busy for you. You see, adoption means security. I never wanted them to worry about a thing. And this may sound like the wrong thing to do, but we had devotions with our children every night. We taught them well, and we told them when we go to a restaurant, I don't want you looking at the price on the menu. I want you to tell us what you want. They never took advantage of us on that. I can remember sometimes they would go, like if we were in New England, go, can we have a lobster? If you want to eat a lobster, the time to do it is when you're in New England. Can you say amen to that? Sometimes they would go, can we have a steak? And I say, I don't want you to ask me like that. I want you to say, Daddy, I'd like a steak. If I can buy it, I'll buy it. If I can't, I want. Because I want him to know, you don't have to go to your father, Lord. Can I have a healing, Lord? Can I have a blessing? You come into your father boldly because you've been adopted by a God that it gave him great pleasure to save you from your sins and to put you into his family and to call you his son or to call you his daughter. You see, friends, there's so much more to this than we can understand. Ernie Johnson Jr., a lot of you know him from ESPN, but Ernie is a strong, passionate follower of Jesus Christ. He and his wife live in Brazelton, Georgia. Ernie is, is just a great communicator and, and um, Wrote a book a few years ago that I would recommend. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I do remember Ernie talking about he and his wife. They adopted children with high, high physical needs. Ernie wrote this, and it's on the screen. Some people can be driven by going on missions trips, digging wells for kids who don't have water. Everybody's wired differently, and that's okay. Each of us have, some of you love to build, some of you love to plan, some of you love to garden. He says, but this is one of the ways we're wired. We have this heart for adoption. It's rooted in our faith, our Christian faith. 
We're instructed to care for orphans and widows, and we don't want credit. We don't want pats on the back. We're getting a heck of a lot more out of it than they are. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment because it gave God great pleasure. I've got a feeling God gets more out of this than we do because God takes pleasure in his glory. God takes pleasure in who he is. God didn't create us out of a need for something. God created us because God is sufficient and God is love and God is holy and that's what godly, holy people do is they in turn love and give and care because it gives them great pleasure. And when you stop and think about that this morning, it's the reason that we're not a fearful people. It's the reason that last night Carmen could say to me, I'm not afraid. As a matter of fact, there's a part of me that I'm excited. I want to see Jesus. It's why we're not afraid. We can spit the devil in the eye and say, come on, victory. We live our lives boldly. We live our lives confidently. It's the reason Paul would write in Romans 8 and verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, our Daddy, Father, for his Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we are in fact his heirs, and in fact together we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Friends, if you are God's child, say it again this morning. Amen, amen, and Amen. That was one amen, triplicate. Amen, amen, and amen. Sometimes you just need to say it over. You see, this is why we don't live fearful. It's not contractual. It's not that I needed somebody to tell me I could never unadopt my children. It's organic. We rented a cabin in the North Georgia mountains this year, or a house, and we brought our family in, our grandchildren in, and it was so good to have everybody there. Becky's sister and husband came and joined us, and we're all together under one big roof. One night, I just kind of went crazy. I just wanted ice cream and went out and bought four half gallons of Briar's ice cream, all of different flavors. And I came home. They thought I'd lost my mind, but it's vacation. You do crazy stuff on vacation sometimes. So I got one scoop out of each one in my big bowl. I got the biggest bowl in the house since I was paying the bill, and I got the biggest bowl, and soon everybody was joining me, and we were all having ice cream. My grandsons were on my back and in my lap and looking around, and I'm going, God, thank you. I remember when Dr. Ambrose looked at me and says, Dennis, don't ever get married. Dennis, you will never be able to be married. You'll never be able to be a dad. I remember when they looked at me and says, these things were impossible to you. I'm telling you what the world says is impossible. All things are possible with God. All things. All things. My grandson, my grandson threw his arms around my neck. He says, Papa, I'm going to love you for 100,000 years. And immediately, for 10,000 years, we will praise him in heaven forever. It's a good life that God has saved us into. Can you say amen? It's a good life. God's a good God. This is organic. It's not contractual. They're my children. They're my grandchildren. You're God's child. It's not a legal thing this morning. It's organic. God 
poured his spirit into you. Jesus lives in you. That's organic. It means you're his. Look, this is important. You need to listen. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. Some people will say, well, I'm trying to be a Christian. Christianity is about, not about trying to be. You're either adopted or you're not. Well, I, I, I'm trying to be a better person. It's not about being a better person. He saved me when I was a wretch in my sins. He saved you when you were a wretch in your sins. It's not about trying to become a better person. It's accepting what Jesus did for you at Calvary in the sin-stained garments that we live in, and then God raises us to a new life. Can you say amen? And then finally, adoption is a discipline. Finally only means for this point, by the way. Adoption is a discipline. There were times I had to discipline my children. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is because I want them to live a successful life and teach them how to go and how to live. And that's why sometimes we forget, but we need to be reminded that God, like any good parent, disciplines us. And have you completely, Hebrews 12, 5, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, so my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Never lose heart. If God disciplines you, it's because he loves you. Thirdly, this morning, and I'll be very quick here because I want us to come and take communion. To be in Christ means I have been redeemed. I love that song we sing here. I am redeemed. He set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy bands, lift up holy hands, because I'm not who I used to be. Do you know what you're singing when you sing that? I sometimes turn around and look at you, and I go, do they know what we're singing? I have a slave stamp in my office that I purchased in one of my trips to Africa. I've been preaching there and just wondering, just wondering how in the world, how in the world we could ever have thought that somehow it was okay to go in and tear villages apart and bring people to work in our fields and our plantations. Those precious, sweet people. And I walked through and looking at slave trade artifacts. I bought one home and gave to each of the pastors. I bought one for, at the time, people were on our board and gave to them. I should never forget, this is what we were. We were slaves to sin. We were marked and we were owned. But see, that's what redemption means. Redemption is not paying a debt. You can come up and pay my debt, and that may ease a bill for me. But if I'm a slave and I have a debt and you pay it, that means I'm still a slave. And there's nobody that could redeem us from our sin but Jesus. Nobody, because he was the only sinless one. So when I hear someone say, it's just disgusting that Christians talk about the crucifixion and the blood of Jesus. When I hear someone go, Jesus Christ, because their car won't crank up right. Something in me just not only grieves, but gets a bit angry. Because I was a slave to sin. And whether you admit it or not, 
you know things aren't as it should be in your life. You know you don't have shalom. You know you're not living in those every spiritual blessing. So, sir, ma'am, young person, whatever that professor who's trying to destroy your faith, whatever that teacher that you're paying for your child to go to school that sneers at your faith and your love for Jesus, there's no shalom in that professor's life. Whatever that wealthy politician or whatever that wealthy media syndicate player says or whatever is in those magazines, there is no shalom in their lives. They're as much a slave to sin as anybody else is. You see, redemption is when you buy someone out of captivity. It's liberation. It's being somebody coming in and paying this redeem, redemption price. And the redemption for sin was blood. In him we have redemption, notice this, through his blood. Say it with me. Redemption through his blood. Say it again. Redemption through his blood. I couldn't do this for anyone. You couldn't do this for anyone. Only Jesus can redeem us from our sins. And that's the reason I, I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to come back to this morning, because you've got to understand, being a slave to sin is what makes us selfish. Being a slave to sin is what makes us mastered by our egos. Being a slave to sin is what makes us so driven. Being a slave to sin is why our, we're so needy and we need other people to praise us and affirm us. Because deep down, we know there's no shalom in our lives. We know there's no every spiritual blessing. So we try to cover ourselves. We try to make ourselves look beautiful or we try to make ourselves look strong or we try to make ourselves look educated or make ourselves look successful because we're trying to cover ourselves we're trying to hide from God and we're trying to hide from one another the way Adam and Eve did. We try to prove ourselves where well, I'm a good dad, I'm a good man, I'm a good provider, I'm a good mother. What do you mean? I'm not talking about your goodness. I know many good people that are still enslaved to sin. I love you this morning. What I'm talking to you about is what Jesus came and did for you when he died for your sins and was raised again from the third day that was not about an Easter bonnet and an Easter bunny. That was all about paying the price to set you free so you could be who God created you to be. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? <laughs> let me make this personal. Let me, let me make this as personal as I can. You see, I really, I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great pastor. But if I put any of that before God, if somebody comes in and points their finger and says, unless you start doing this and put 50 pounds on each end and lift six times, and I don't do what this world says, and they say, well, you're going to stay just like you are. If I do what this world does and I'm trying to meet what the world thinks ought to be, that's my God. My ministry, my marriage my children, that's not my God. My joy this morning is that when my father looks at me, it gave him great pleasure, and he sees me as holy and faultless, and that just makes me want to rise up and be what he created me to be. Isn't that the beauty of Christianity? We've been set free redeemed through his blood. Go back to your outline. Underline that. Through his blood, his blood was shed for us. Well, the band can come on up if you want, but we're going to take communion. Let me close this morning just by saying, 
To be in Christ then means that grace, grace is glorious to me. You just don't believe in grace. If, if you're in Christ this morning, then grace is glorious to you. You, you love grace. You can't talk about it enough. You can't sing it about enough. Suddenly, somebody asked me this week, am I really as enthusiastic about these things every day as I am in the pulpit? I'm probably not the best one to ask that. Ask Becky. Ask my staff. Ask my children. Ask the board. But I'll be as honest. I believe I'm being 100% transparent. The cross has never lost its joy. The cross has never lost its luster. Oh, my performance has lost its luster. But what Jesus did for me I can never talk about it enough. Grace is glorious. You see, so we praise God for the glorious grace He poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. Underline that, glorious grace. I often try to define grace. It is such, I've tried in so many ways and... There are a few pictures in my mind I keep coming back to that I, I think are the best pictures I know how to define. Do you remember, some of you that are older in the room and our students are coming in to take communion with us? Do you remember, those of you that are older, you will, remember the plane that went down into the Potomac and how CNN stayed focused on this unidentified man who kept diving into the cold, icy waters of the Potomac, he would swim out, remember that? And he would rescue person after person. And the reporter in the helicopter was just so amazed because the rescue crews could not get there. Everybody would have died, but he managed to save quite a few, not everybody. But on his last swim out, they said, how long can he keep this up? How long can he keep this up? On his last swim out, he went under the waters never to resurface. That's grace. Giving your life. You younger people, you'll understand this because I love you. When you were growing up, I knew you were reading Harry Potter. I read Harry Potter with you. I preached a couple of messages about it here. One of those beautiful pictures of grace that I found in children's literature was when Harry asked Dumbledore one time, he says, Professor, why can't Voldemort hurt me? Dumbledore looked at him and he says, Harry, Voldemort can't hurt you because your mother died protecting you. And that's the strongest magic there is, Harry. You see, when he tries to hurt you, your mother, by dying for you, it causes it, whatever he does, to happen to him. And you saw that in the last Harry Potter movie. And I want to tell you, it's not magic. But the devil cannot touch you. 
because Jesus died for you. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Stop fearing the wicked one. Stop fearing the evil one. Because it's the blood of Jesus upon your life. There was no stronger love. There was no greater love. The young man dying in the Potomac River, the soldier dying on the battlefield is the ultimate sacrifice a human being can make for another human being. But nobody could have redeemed you from your sin and protected you from the powers of hell but Jesus Christ. And the devil cannot touch the blood-bought, born-again woman or man of God. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Last night, when we got news that Senator McCain had passed away, I turned on the television to watch. Governor John Kasich from Ohio, they got him on the telephone, and he and the senator were good friends. And I've always liked Kasich, but I was never so proud as last night. He said, when John and I were together just recently, he said, I said, John, have you and God, have you squared things away? He said, have you got things settled with God? And he said, McCain said to him, he said, Johnny, you don't have to worry about that anymore. He said, I've got everything square with the Lord. You see, there's no more important decision that you'll ever make in this life than whether or not you commit your heart to Jesus Christ. Because there comes a day all too soon, all too soon, when each of us whether you're a senator, a president, an emperor, or a pauper, we're going to all walk the same path. And all that matters is the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for your broken body. How good you have been. And we break this bread. Would you break it with me? And as your body was broken, Lord, Use us. Something supernatural happened, Jesus, when you broke bread. It multiplied and it fed the multitude. Something supernatural happened when you broke bread and shared it with your disciples. You says, this is my body. I pray something supernatural happens in all of our lives to the glory and honor of God as we eat this broken bread together in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. How great the love of God. How great the love of God. And we thank you for your shed blood, Jesus, in whom we have through the redemption, through your shed blood, there's nothing that can touch us. <laughs> no devil in hell, no disease, no pestilence, no terror, no arrow, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, in whom we have access through the blood of Jesus, in whom we have security through the blood of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, thank you for this cup of love. And thank you for the promise that one day you're going to drink it with us in the kingdom of heaven. So like Carmen, Lord, there's something so exciting about that. So Lord Maranatha, come quickly. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to him, church. Let's lift our hands. Let's don't leave understanding what the blessing is this morning without just really worshiping him and thanking him. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You have poured out your spirit upon us. You have bestowed upon us every spiritual blessing and every gift. We walk out of this place stronger and more hopeful, Lord, than we were when we came in. We go out, Lord, into a world, Lord, in disarray, but we go out in the shalom of God. And I pray that every enemy of your people, Lord, will crumble before them. We go out into a world beset by sin, Lord, and I pray that the devils of hell will tremble before the people of God. I pray as we go out in the name of Jesus that our enemies, O oh Lord, will flee. For even when we stand fast in Christ, Lucifer himself frees, the Bible says. We go out of this place, Lord, bold as lions and more than conquerors. We go out of this place as bold expressors of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, let this be the inheritance of the people of God, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen and amen and amen. Well, give the Lord another hand of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.